Welcome to episode 58 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome to another episode. I had just found um, a little article in my local paper or online paper um, that applied, I thought, to this, what we've learned this year during the pandemic and with online learning in general. So it talked about um, a study done by Canvas that does the a lot of the online teaching software that a lot of schools and places, um, different organizations uses. But they uh, looked at six trends in K-12 schools after the pandemic. So number one was that teachers are leading the leading factor in student success. So it talked about that having high quality teachers and I think also teachers that were willing to jump in and figure out the technology and use it to their advantage, whereas one that they saw was predicting student success. And then it talked about hybrid learning and teaching is here to stay. So that um, was a neat one too. It talked about that we have the infrastructure now, we might as well use it. I feel kind of sad about this, but I think snow days for those of us that live in (laughs) cold weather may be a thing of the past (laughs) that it will be, you know, just jump online and do your assignments, which is nice when you don't have to do makeups for those days. Um, So I think, and finding other ways that students are able to use that, um, this infrastructure that's been created, you know, turning assignments in online so you have more time in class. So I think it's something that's not going away and should be continued to be used. And number three was the top priority for teachers is student engagement. Uh, So they just wanted, we want our students to get on (laughs) and be able to see them and, you know, be able to interact with them. Um, And they did find that it was 33% of parents reported difficulty engaging during the pandemic, but low income households were twice as likely to report difficulty helping their students remain engaged. Uh, So that kind of leads into number four, which was equitable access is critical in to achieving equity in education. So I think, you know, looking at some of that infrastructure things that makes it so there's not a huge disparity between places that can get internet and places that can't. And some of our students that needed the education the most this past year were the ones that got the least because they were already in a low income area and didn't have that access. So it talks about creating that equitable access for everyone. Um, And then number five was time to rethink standardized testing. Uh, So standardized tests were a lot of times canceled this last, uh, the definitely in the year school year that ended in 2020 and some in the school year that ended this year. So looking at, you know, there's other ways to assess kids and that might be a better um, picture of their overall abilities and things like that. And then number six is technology is essential in keeping teachers, students, and parents connected. So it just um, talked about how we can use that, you know, to connect with our parents, even if we're not seeing them regularly in the schools and uh, using that as a tool to, even when we're back in schools, to make sure that 
parents know more of what's going on in the classroom. So kind of tangentially (laughs) related to telepractice, but I thought it had some good points in there and, you know, how we can use telepractice going forward and kind of integrate it with other things that we're doing if you are back in person now. Well, I think I agree with all those points and it's very interesting to see, see what's happening. And uh, I was I was just reading on, on, on a separate article uh, about the the new Secretary of Health and Human Services. They were talking about some of these issues about access, mm-hmm. and and basically he was you know based the question that was posed to him was, are we going to create more inequity by having telepractice and telemedicine services available because there'd be so many people who still can't access it. And he basically said, not on my watch, you know, so he's really committed uh, to, you know, the whole uh, broadband infrastructure, making sure that schools and, and other facilities have, have the broadband, but also communities so mm-hmm. that all these communities that, that, just struggle with getting good access. What and it can be an, an inner city situation. It can be a very rural situation. We yeah. you know we certainly see both, depending on the situation where people struggle to get access. And so he's he's really really committed to making sure that telemedicine telepractice is available to everyone. And it's going to be a lot of work because of because of the broadband issues that we that we all encounter. I'm I'm glad that there's someone in the administration who's sort of focused on telemedicine and and telepractice and and hopefully we'll continue to see good things happen over the next uh months and years next uh, few years to hopefully have some solutions to these issues. Right, right. Yeah, and it is it's it almost has to be at that level, that countrywide level to really make sure that it gets to everybody and isn't these pockets where somebody cared about it. So they got internet to places that needed it. It really has to kind of be that nationwide thing. Well, I think, you know, some people are, you know, saying it, it, for us now and in 2021, it's like having electricity in your home. Right. You know, you need to have access to the internet. You know, you need to because it's how we, it's it is how we are banking. It's how we are connecting to get, you know, for instruction for school. It's how we're doing basic, very very basic things that um, that we didn't do this way maybe uh, five years ago. But because of the pandemic, it's it's kind of highlighted the need. For everyone to have access and and it's you know we have changed as a society of how we interact mm-hmm. uh, and so if you don't have access um, then you're you're going to be left behind so to speak yeah yeah it's almost like and in education wise thinking about it too it's almost like having no books in the home you right. know that they don't have access to that uh, that knowledge and information. So if that's not happening, then we have to find a way to make up for it. If and hopefully get it to happen, so they can have that information. Exactly. Uh, this this other quick article that I was reading about. The title of it is "22 States Change Telemedicine Laws During the Pandemic," and this is 
out of the healthcare IT news uh, newsletter that they send out. And long story short, which I would not really thought about this, but it's true that a lot of states did change laws or change policies uh, based on the pandemic to allow access to telemedicine, telepractice, as well as uh, basically mandating what needed to be covered by insurance. Much of that was done at the state level. Mm-hmm. And and what this article points out is that in many of these situations, it was done by the by the governor through an executive action. And what people don't realize is that without some legislation in the state to make it permanent, that usually those those um, the the executive actions by the governor will expire. Yeah. It's not permanent. And so now they're saying, they're kind of waving this flag saying, yes, we have things happening at the federal level. And if we can get that legislation passed, then that would affect all the states and, you know, be a positive thing. But if that doesn't pass, then we need to make sure that our our states and the, our state legislature, leg, legislators, excuse me, uh, understand that we need to make these things permanent. And, yeah. uh, and so it was just a, something I had not really thought about uh, in, the, in those terms of how some of these situations may expire and we'll be back in some states the way it used to be where we couldn't get coverage and get, couldn't get reimbursement and all those things. So I yeah. don't want those things to happen. And then if you have like my situation where you're practicing across state lines mm-hmm. and in one state it's allowed and the next state it's not, then that right. that creates problems too. So that I can see that as a another reason to have that nationwide. Exactly. Exactly. That. So um, um, I'm hoping that states will do what they need to do to make sure that, that these things that have changed, that they are they are permanent. Right, right. So on the podcast today, we have uh, Jessica Lyndon Holt, who is from Tennessee. She's practicing down in Tennessee, and she's going to share some information about bilingual therapy. And she's a bilingual clinician and a speech-language pathologist, SLP. And so she's going to talk to us a little bit about her experiences in that role. Great. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, 
Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. So, Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Can you share a bit more about your background? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I've really enjoyed listening to all the different podcasts, um, especially lately. So there's so many great tips out there um, that I just wasn't even aware of. So I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I've been a speech language pathologist for 14 years. Hard to believe. Um, But I started um, an undergrad at the University of Texas, Knoxville. And university, I'm sorry, Let's say that again. I started at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Here's where it gets confusing. I go from one UT to the other UT. So I started at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville for undergrad. And um, part of a scholarship I had was that I, uh, it included a study abroad experience. So I knew I wanted to study audiology and speech language pathology, but I also had at the time plans to minor in Spanish. Uh, I studied abroad and realized I knew nothing. So here I had taken years of Spanish. I go to Puebla, Mexico for the first time. And I just, it was a very eye-opening experience that no, I, I did not have the level of Spanish I needed. So I actually worked three jobs and ended up getting a chance to study abroad and study at um, a university in Santiago in the Dominican Republic. And it was a public health program. So I actually worked uh, in rural public health in the Dominican Republic one summer and uh, studied in Guatemala for a couple of weeks. So by the time I was done, I actually had a second degree in Spanish. So at that point, I definitely wanted, I put a lot of work into this. I definitely wanted to find a program that um, in communication sciences and disorders that really had a strong bilingual emphasis. So I received my master's degree from the University of Texas, Austin. So one UT to another UT, um, graduated from there and decided that, you know, definitely wanted to use everything I'd put so many years into. So I lived on the border for seven years. So I, my, the first city I was in was Brownsville, Texas. I worked for a pedi- pediatric outpatient clinic there. Uh, also did some PRN in hospitals. Um, and then from there, Harlington, Texas, a couple towns over, and ended up being a clinical director for um, the largest pediatric outpatient group in the state of Texas at that time. So worked, we had 11 outpatient centers and home health. So really enjoyed that. Had two kids under the age of two, decided it was time to move closer to family. I'm originally from Tennessee. So we moved back to Tennessee about five years ago, Uh, worked in the schools for a little bit, and then found the company I work for now, Sidekick Therapy Partners. So and that is where that is where we are today. Well, that's great. And how did uh, telepractice enter your life? So oddly enough, uh, last January, the company um, had brought on several um, developers, and we were creating a teletherapy platform. But he was creating sort of like a prototype. It was never intended to launch. Um, it, not that soon, anyway. Maybe like in the coming year. And March comes and we had 130 therapists that had to become teletherapists very quickly. And that prototype, it went live (laughs) within a (laughs) few weeks. Um, So we actually contract with 21 different school districts in the state of Tennessee. 
And in addition to that, we have two outpatient clinics, one in Knoxville and one in Johnson City. So we were doing thousands of teletherapy sessions very early on. We had school districts see our platform um, because it was developed by therapists. So as he was developing this prototype, he was asking us questions. And we were like, ooh, it would be amazing if it had an interactive whiteboard. It would be amazing if it had a click beacon. It would be amazing if it had this chat feature that also automatically changed any grammar corrections. Oh, it'd be great if I had face filters and spinning word games and react and all this stuff. And he was developing it and putting it out there. And um, it was amazing because we were, we were actually part of that development process and other school districts were seeing that and wanting to be a part of it. And some of our partner districts actually were doing teletherapy on our platform as well. It was HIPAA compliant. It had um, data features so that they could actually track data live. Um, And so, yeah, it sort of all started there and just continued to develop. Obviously, I'm very big into green screen and props. I was serving a large preschool population. Um, So like he added reactions for me, like dancing eggs and balloons and things that were really engaging for my younger ones. Um, We're now working on building out first then and task boards with visual schedules. So really neat to see. We had we had people trying this. you know, live doing thousands of sessions, sending in feedback, and we were literally developing uh, our own teletherapy platform. Well, that's incredible, because that, you know, I would say, you know, a lot of companies would sort of see what's out there in the marketplace and probably adopt one of those instead of, you know, building one from from scratch, in a sense. So that that's actually very exciting to be a part of building the platform. Absolutely. We're working on developing a version that would be more external. So hopefully that'll be available soon. But this was really something we were creating internally at that time. So and then out of that, yeah, out of that stemmed all kinds of other ideas. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's what I was going to ask if it's something that you guys are planning on making more widely available. Yeah, so that's actually what they're working on right now because we did have so much interest um, from school districts, from um, individual clinicians. And so they're actually developing a version of the the platform that would be available for more widespread use. Right, right. That's what I started um, doing telepractice with a platform. And then it was, I was kind of the opposite. I had to adjust to doing it with just Zoom. And I'm like, oh, this is different to not have all of these things built in like I'm used to. And it's, I mean, you can definitely do both or de- and it's, it's stretched me as a therapist and given me more confidence in like finding my own resources to have done it with both. But yeah, if you can find a good platform and it sounds like this one's great, that um, it definitely makes life a lot easier. <laughs> For sure. And having 130 teammates providing input, you know, right. that was amazing. And we were all creating videos. All of us were brand new to teletherapy. I think there was one person in the company that had done teletherapy before. So here we all were kind of experiencing it at the same time, doing literally thousands of sessions. And, you know, people were taking quick videos and sharing resources. And so we actually have a resource library with over 1200 resources that you can, that therapists created that you can pull in during your sessions. Um, So everything again, could be internal or you could screen share But out of that sort of developed my speech therapy with Lindenholt because I was creating all these videos. I was sharing ideas. I was sharing um, resources I had created. And people were like, why don't you sell those? And I was like, oh, I guess I did put a lot of time into this. I could. We could start that. So, 
the Teachers Pay Teachers store came along, the uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all those great pages, really just to share um, things that I had learned. Definitely didn't intend for it to become you know, a giant thing, but it's been nice to, to hear people say that those tips have helped them. So that's, that's your product company, I would say. Is that right? You're, you're, you're producing products. Yeah. So speech therapy with Lyndon Holt is just sort of my personal speech mm-hmm. uh, adventure here, my little journey. And then of course, Sidekick Therapy Partners, the company I work for, I am now the um, senior director of clinical services with them. So we will have around 200 therapists wow. uh, in August. So making sure that I'm supporting all of them and that we're getting them the resources and things that they need to, to make an impact each day. And is that just in Tennessee or with telepractice? Have you guys branched out at all? So we, uh, we're the largest pediatric outpatient group or at p- private practice actually in general in the state of Tennessee right now. So we have Nashville through the Tri-Cities. We are talking about expanding. We, we have done some research into different telepractice laws. We have teammates that have moved off and that are still interested in staying with the company in a different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully more to come. Well, you know, I, I train grad students, so they're always looking for jobs. So, you know. I like it. We're always and, looking for people. Yeah, many of them have uh, had telepractice experience, too. That's part of what we do at Akron. So, And isn't so just, that crazy, the difference? Like now when you see that on someone's resume, you're like, oh, awesome, because they're going to get it a little bit faster. They're going to understand. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge shift from the way we did things before. And it's not that it's necessarily easier or harder it just you know depending on on the the client but it's just a completely different way of thinking about things and doing things mm-hmm. at least you know you can they have a foundation you can build on you know they, they've had some exposure versus you know not knowing at all what you know how to turn on the computer and how to make it <laughs> how to actually deliver services you know when you're not in the room mm-hmm. huge learning curve but it's been it's been fun. It's, I've learned a lot as well. I like to joke that I am my own song and dance or, or kids TV show um, because I do serve uh, a lot of kiddos on the autism spectrum. I have a lot of younger clients and um, I also live in a rural area in East Tennessee in the mountains. And so Wi-Fi connections, I mean, there are places that internet companies weren't even able to get to. Um, so a lot of my families were using cell phones and things, and that limits what you can really do on, on a small screen. So green screen became my friend. I believe it's place, um, place park speech mm-hmm. that had the green screen page. Um, so early on I was sharing ideas on that page and I was getting ideas from other teammates there. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my thing since I can't screen share, or I can't do certain things due to Wi-Fi connections. I can do this props background. I'm going on jungle adventures. I'm, you know, swimming underwater with my snorkel, finding target words and practicing sounds. And so, um, yeah, I, I do joke that I'm my own television show, but, uh, it's been close. close. Yes. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that is really like what engages our kids and that, I don't know, it was uh, Jane or other guest mentioned that she was like, we all think that like, oh, they won't want to sit there and just watch me play with toys, but that's what they do on YouTube all day is watch Mm -hmm. other people play with toys. I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. 
Those surprise yeah. eggs. Wow. I mean, you know, you, you had the, the unboxing and the surprise egg things that kids will just right. watch for hours. I was like, okay, that's the number one thing kids are watching on YouTube. I've got some Easter eggs in the basement. Down I go. And yeah, uh, yeah it's amazing how many times they'll watch you open that same egg to see what's inside. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like, it's like following their lead, but they're like their digital lead. What, what is it that entertains them? What is it that catches their attention online or otherwise and, and follow that lead just like we would if we were playing with them in person? Absolutely. Yeah. I learned to become a magician. I had magic tricks for my older kids. They were trying to show me their magic tricks they would learn. We'd have, you know, Mm -hmm. that was their homework. Practice your sounds while you learn a new magic trick. So I've become a little bit of a magician, pirate, been a little bit of everything, but it's been uh, super fun. Like you said, just following their lead, taking their interests and uh, bringing that to life virtually for them. I I tell my grad students as we all know they're about, you know, 20, early 20s, usually. I said, do you remember Blue's Clues? <laughs> and they said, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, go back, back and look. Yeah, go back and look at some Blue's Clues. Uh, and remember, they're doing this in front of a green screen. And so this is how we're going to use green screens. And and so they start to catch on, you know, because some of them didn't watch Blue's Clues, apparently. <laughs> um but that's sort of the closest thing I can show them, you know, the, you know, when they're trying to figure this out. I completely have a blues clues background, just so mm-hmm. you know. Um, because yes, it I I definitely you kind of take some of those tips too, right? Like mm-hmm. moving closer to the camera, show, you know, bringing items closer, farther away. Like you have to be more dynamic in how you're presenting certain things to keep their engagement. So blues Blue's Clues is a great one to watch and mm-hmm. kind of model mm-hmm. yourself after if you're just getting started with teletherapy or telepractice. Right. Exactly. I always, I always use um, Dora the Explorer when I'm telling parents mm-hmm. about that expectant wait time. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, she stares at you with her really big eyes and just looks at you <laughs> until you answer. <laughs> so, you know, being bilingual, I, you know, I've had a parent tell me before, they're like, wow you are just like Dora. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. Like I took it as the deepest compliment. And later I thought, I wonder if he actually meant that as a compliment or not, but um, that's what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. She's a role model, right? Right. <laughs> so, so talk about your experience and how you've uh, been able to do some bilingual speech pathology services through telepractice. So a lot of the kids that I see are younger. Um, I would say that some of the families um, are migrant workers in our area. We have a lot of farming in this area. So, you know, I'll get calls from school districts asking um, to evaluate kids via teletherapy during the pandemic, especially. And, you know, a lot of it's communicating with the families and they're just, they just seem so excited too, that there's a, there's someone that can understand them. Uh, I think they, especially in our area, don't get that a lot. And they're usually working through uh, interpreters, which are usually their 
their kids that might be, you know, nine years old trying to translate all this medical information for them or school-based, you know, IEP information. And that's really challenging. That's challenging as a parent. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, just Mm -hmm. hearing it in your own language going, okay, what do all these words mean? And so it's been really great to have that connection with families, to be able to explain the process, to explain what all these documents mean, or to explain what a certain diagnosis means. Um, And then, like I said, for teletherapy, it's just, I'm sort of like switching from Blue's Clues to Dora the Explorer a little bit, <laughs> but um, I won't say that I do anything drastically different. It's just in a, a different language and I use a lot of the same features and um, yeah, the, the kids have a good time. The parents are very appreciative. They're able to watch those sessions or hear how I'm explaining or doing things with their kids and carry that over better at home because unlike when you're in school or in the clinic, you know, that parent's not always there. And then sometimes there's that language barrier of, you know, a therapist that maybe is working with the child more in English because they're older and they do speak both languages. They're not able to really make that connection with the parent and talk out like, oh, here's some tips for home. Um, Like I'm able to do when we're, when we're together during those teletherapy sessions. Yeah. That parent component is Real, has been really nice during this time them seeing what we're doing really has and they've they've all been so appreciative and um especially when you work with kids with more complex medical needs like they just don't get a chance to be that involved um like mm-hmm. i said most of the work we're doing we're contracting with school districts and so they're not they're not there with them during a lot of the therapy sessions and so this has been great way for them to learn more about what we're doing in speech do you have any, um, have you had any hard time finding resources for bilingual therapy or where do you kind of look for resources for that? Yes, yes. And yes, <laughs> especially so teletherapy in general, it was a big learning experience for me. Like, okay, who has the resources I really need? And there are some great ones out there that you can adapt for different languages, but there's not a lot out of there that just exists um, in Spanish. I've created a few for my Teachers Pay Teachers store that sort of developed out of this, you know, something I really needed in another language. Um, So that, that has been a challenge. I found myself just having to rely on my personal word lists and my personal knowledge. Um, because yeah, that's still a huge need. I think telepractice materials in Spanish. So if anyone wants to create those, that'd be great. <laughs> Sounds like you're the person for the job. Uh, you know, I have a few jobs, but I definitely that is <laughs> that is on the radar to try to develop um, develop some more resources that would be great to use both in person and via teletherapy. Right. It's it it's so so much needed because. Um, even I'm a, two days a week at Akron Children's Hospital, uh, mostly working with kids with hearing loss. But we have a we have a large community, large large uh, several large communities actually. We do have lots of uh, Spanish speaking families, but we also have uh, families from Nepal. Apparently, they there's something about this area. They have a big community, so a lot of families move here. Uh, who come to the United States end up outside of Akron, Ohio. So I'm not sure why why that's the case, but that it is the case. Uh, and so we have a lot of those families that come in. Uh, and then, you know, for just, you know, for understanding different cultural and religious backgrounds, we also have a, you know, fairly large Amish community too. 
And a lot of those kids have hearing loss and working with those expectations and, and differences in how they um, may want services delivered is, is sometimes a, a challenge. And some of yeah, them absolutely. only speak German. And so that, that sometimes the language is an issue. Yeah, speak, um, you know, when I went to the University of Texas, Austin, and we're, we're studying bilingualism and multiculturalism, uh, of course, a lot of us did speak Spanish that we're in Texas, there was a high need. But at the same time, you know, we had kids uh, in the Austin public school district from probably name a country and they were there. Right. So uh, it was very interesting because, you know, just because you speak a language doesn't necessarily make you an excellent bilingual evaluator, right? You really have right. to understand all the components of the language or the the phonemic system. It's not just simply about speaking the language. And then, yeah, what do you do when you have kids from countries where, um, you know, they're speaking a language that no one else in the district speaks, no one else and the community speaks except for that family. And so you learn a lot about working with um, families, interpreting, you know, researching on your own to develop, um, I won't say a full evaluation, but sort of to, to develop some mm -hmm. evaluation pieces and information to help you make that decision between difference and disorder. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a challenge. I, I regret not learning a second language. And I, and I, I really regret that you know, in in some sense of it, uh, that here in the United States, it's kind of frowned upon if you speak another language. Where never you're too to, late. Yeah, well, never I mean, too late. I I do try from time to time to learn Spanish, but uh, it's you know the sort of the social and political you know negativity about speaking another language in public. Where if you go to Europe or anywhere, just about anywhere else in the world, you're going to hear different languages. And a person may also speak English, <laughs> but they may speak, you know, several other languages. And it's not a big deal. You know, it's just a, what they expect. I love and, that you brought that up. I actually, so I work for, um, we have a lot of Title I schools that we serve. And that's a huge thing, passion side project of mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I um, would teach after school classes for kids who are taking a bus that maybe had a late bus route or they um, they were in part of the after school programs. So I actually teach Spanish to kids in after school programs. And that's that's always one of the first things I talk about is the stigma. And like, do you know that bilingual people make more money, that they use different parts of their brain, that they actually excel in certain tasks, you know, more than a monolingual individual would. And I kind of go through this whole list. And so I actually was teaching via Zoom. It was my first time teaching, you know, a class via Zoom. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I had several kids sign up even from the border um, because the parents were like, they won't speak Spanish with me anymore. There's a stigma attached to it. And right. I'm like, but you live on the on the border of Mexico. Like, how do they not want to speak Spanish to communicate with all these people? And so um, breaking that stigma is a huge side project of mine. And so I actually teach online Spanish classes for kids. Um, I've had some SLP teammates that have been like, hey, can I just take your class just so I can learn a little bit more? And I'm like, okay, but listen, I'm extra. I'm going to have props. I'm going to be wearing a dinosaur head. I'm going to be doing all these things. And I need <laughs> you to just be okay with all of that. Understand mm -hmm. this is not an adult level class. And they're like, oh, I love it. So, uh, <laughs> so I've had some, I have had some adults join, but huge passion side project of mine. Get more people speaking Spanish or other languages or just being open to it, especially in uh, rural communities. Well, I think too, how you said rural communities, there's, 
I've yet to find a community where I didn't have like someone in there, you know, last year I was one of the school district I I worked for was in Twin Falls, Idaho. And I was like, it's Idaho. I'm going to have, you know, kind of like my run of the mill. This is what I can expect. And I had students that were from Iraq. I had a student that was from, I think, Burma. And, you know, you just, and like, even where I live um, in Utah now, there's a university. So we get lots of international grad students. And we've had, when I worked in early intervention, we had just about every language you could think of that we were scrambling trying to find interpreters for. And so I think that you just can't assume, well, this is the population in my area and this is who I'm going to see because, you know, we are a melting pot kind Mm -hmm. of country and we have to expect that we need to be culturally sensitive and we need to expect that we are going to see other cultures. Yes, yes, absolutely. And hopefully universities will, will continue to to push that and explain that as well. I know that um, I was asked to speak, you know, just be a guest speaker to talk on bilingualism and multiculturalism, but I would love to see that it was actually a class that it was, you know, it's mm-hmm. own, not just right. a single lecture or something that's mentioned briefly in, you know, a, a single class. I would love to see that it's sort of incorporated more in all of the, the courses because it's, that's what you're going to deal with when you're out in the real world. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're a pluralistic and a multilinguistic society, whether, you know, some people like that or not. It's just the way it is. Uh, and it really does go back to our, our the founding of this country is that, you know, come in, be this sort of melting pot. Some people don't like that term, but, you know, because they think you give up your own identity, you give up and you adopt this new American identity but our American identity is all of these different things. And, and that's, you know, appreciating those differences is what I think is a part of being a real true American is understanding those differences. Yes, absolutely. My grandfather was actually from Italy. Uh, He came over as a young child, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to know him, and uh, I don't speak Italian. But that's the next language on the list. Next language on the list. I can read it a little because it's a Latin language close enough to Spanish. I could maybe order some food, but the goal—the <laughs> goal will be to, yeah, add some Italian in in the future. Perfect. Well, Jessica, we've come to our our moment of Zen. Are <laughs> We have, we have some pick some uh, questions for you. Okay. That um, is adopted or adapted. Excuse me from the Proust original questionnaire. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, Inside the Actor Studio show. Um, I think it's in reruns now. But long story short, the the host would always ask these actors the same ten questions at the end. I like it. And so you can answer as little or as much as you want. Okay. So one word answers are fine or more. Okay. So what's your favorite or most used app on your phone? Non-speech. Non-speech. Most used app in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not going to go with the boring one and say Outlook because work. I'm going to say iMovie. So I actually have a side project. It's um, I follow my great aunt and 
her family and they can around 2000 cans of food a year in the Appalachian mountains, they raise and kill their own hogs. And so I kind of follow them, piece together these videos, um, granny women of Appalachia. So it's an Appalachian cooking, quilting, crafting lifestyle kind of show on YouTube. So iMovie would be my, my top app probably used. Oh, that's a really cool thing to watch. I'm glad you mentioned that. I've checked that out. Um, what's the last TV series you streamed? Ooh. I watch very little TV, so I should probably preface that. Like, we don't have cable. I canceled Netflix. Like, Into the Fire. My son loves it. I don't know if you've seen it, but that's probably the last one we've watched. Um, they make their own weapons and then test them mm -hmm. out to see if, you know, they would hold up in battle. If they hold up. Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, what's a favorite book? Hmm. So many. That's a tough one. Um, right now I'm reading Where the Crawdads Sing in Spanish. Um, one of the investors in our company, his great aunt actually wrote that book. So I've read it in English and I'm currently reading it in Spanish because I love she, the way she took language and, you know, it had a very dialect. It was a very dialect driven um, book with, with lots of dialogue and the thoughts of um, this individual. And I wanted to see how they translated that into Spanish, how they made that dialect shift. I was a little disappointed that um, it just didn't hold true. It, I, obviously it's very yeah. hard to translate a book, but even tougher mm -hmm. to add in those dialect pieces, but so that's the right. current book I'm reading. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite genre of music? I probably have the most eclectic taste, <laughs> but I'm going to go 70s rock. Okay, good, good. 70s rock, more of a classic rock. Yes. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Ooh. Okay, I'm going to go with the first person that just popped in my head. We were talking about, you know, that YouTube Granny Women of Appalachia and following my great aunt. Um, my grandfather passed away 10 years ago, and I would give anything to have a chance to like bring him up on all the amazing things we're doing. He was very big on family and and cooking and, you know, kind of keeping that lifestyle going. And I would just love a chance to share with him all the things that have happened in the past year, he didn't get the past 10 years. He didn't get to meet um, my kids. They would be his right. um, only great grandkids. And so, so my grandfather. Awesome. That's great. Uh, where is the most exotic place you've been? Mm. Or maybe the farthest place you've been. So farthest would probably, okay. Farthest slash most exotic. I did get an opportunity to hike Machu Picchu with my husband. It was my last little bucket list item before uh, we decided to have kids. So Machu Picchu lives up to some of the hype. It was Good. a pretty incredible experience. I've always wanted to go. I have I've not gone yet. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, what's a pet peeve? probably have a few of these let's see um <laughs> gossiping i can't stand gossip and, and mm -hmm. drama 
<laughs> unnecessary drama, right? Yeah, there's enough in life. We can do without that. For sure. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try? I mean, it's pretty easy. So I would say probably a Spanish teacher or teaching English uh, in a foreign country. Those are kind of related to speech. So then if we pick something that was completely not language related, um, I've really enjoyed creating uh, these videos with my family. And so maybe something, maybe something related to editing. Oh, good. Creating awesome. videos. And the last question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, what a good question. Probably just welcome, right? Like, it'd be great to know that I'm actually getting in. Um, <laughs> welcome would be a good one. Um, that is such an amazing question. I will definitely continue to think about that. How terrible that I don't have such a good answer for that one, because I don't think I would know what to do or what to say in response to anything that God could say to me. So just like mm -hmm. hearing him speak to me would probably be overwhelming and incredible. So I'm, I'm going to stick with welcome. Awesome. I think that's good. Uh, and so Jessica, how can someone reach out to you and if they have more questions or if they're interested in your company, what's the best way they can contact you and get more information? Yeah. So like from a personal side, speech therapy with Lyndon Holt. Um, Instagram and Facebook, YouTube, all the all the good social media ways. Um, for the company Sidekick Therapy Partners, it's mysidekicktherapy.com. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you and everything that you're doing. And thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. It was great having Jessica on and learning a bit more about being a bilingual speech-language pathologist. I wish I could speak another language as effectively as she can, and I wish I could do that. I wish I could be a bilingual SLP, but it's just not in the cards for me at this point, although I am committed to learning more Spanish and, unfortunately, just not probably well enough to be a clinician and use it uh, clinically. And uh, we also want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us. It helps us to attract new listeners and new subscribers and to grow this podcast, which is what we want to do. We want to attract new listeners and to share this information about telepractice service delivery. So help us out. Give us that five-star review. And with that, we'll see you again next week. Uh, for another exciting episode. Until then, stay safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.